you know, try and keep me here against my I will. I hear what you're saying, Danny, but and no one loves this city more than I do, but you can't leave this room. Whatever. You sure you want to do this? No, I don't want to, but if I have to. See, well, you had to keep your girlfriend secret. We're past that. No, we're not. Danny, we're all on the same side here. It doesn't feel like it. Not anymore. You can find the comic book characters on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash kneelbeforepod or follow us on Twitter at cbcharacters. You can also email us at cbcharacters at gmail.com and now you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Search comic book characters. Hey everyone out there in the CBC universe, it is your friendly neighborhood podcaster, Alfred. And as always, I've got my gracious co-host, Chris, the uncontested Gossetus. Sir, how are you doing today? Hey, yo, how's it going, man? Not too uh, bad. I'm weathering the hurricane. Yeah, we're, uh, we're here in the eye of the storm, so to speak. But that wouldn't stop us from bringing in a cherished guest that we have this week for all of you listeners out there in the CBC universe. I am, of course, talking about Timothy Lim, otherwise known as, a.k.a. Ninja Inc. Tim, are you there? I am here. It's great to be here. I'm staying nice and dry, but I'm sure that storm is heading my way this week. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's, but surely. it's going north. Uh, by the way, shout-outs to all our listeners that are in the coastal area in Houston and Corpus and so on. Uh, please be safe. We hope this podcast finds you safely. Um, you know, turn around, don't drown, all of that stuff. Uh, we're, we're here with you. Um, Protect your neck. Yeah, protect your neck. Um, so, yeah, we've got, we're real happy, we're, we're super excited here. We have Tim, uh, Ninja Inc. here. Uh, for those that are not familiar, but I know many of you all are, uh, he, he does a lot of the, the Comic-Con circuits. He's been featured in a, in a ton of different things. Uh, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Chris, he's done some Street Fighter stuff. I'm sure Ooh. you're going to have questions about. Um, I think it. The, the coolest thing, and we'll definitely, we'll get into this a little bit more, but I'm really excited about it, is that, it's just so funny how this turned out because Tim and I had been talking about bringing him on uh, earlier this year when he was at Alamo City Comic Con. But he's actually going to be doing, uh, there's a, a Marvel's producing a new Star Wars comic book, Star Wars Adventures. Issue number one is going to be coming out very soon. Uh, and he's doing the variant cover for San Antonio's very own Heroes and Fantasies comic book store uh, where he's doing the variant cover to issue number one. And how cool is that? Uh, we're definitely, again, going to touch on more on those details. Uh, but before we do that, let's let's get the show rolling. We, we're going to do the thing that we normally do, all the topics and so on. We're going to get Tim's takes. Tim's takes. I think that could be a segment. Um, <laughs> I love it. has a nice ring to it. And, uh, and we'll, we'll see how this goes. So first thing we're going to start off with, because uh, we did take a little break here, a little summer vacation for us here at Combo Characters after the, the big San Diego Comic-Con extravaganza. Uh, and in that time, the Netflix, uh, Marvel Netflix's newest show, The Defenders, has come out. Now, I will be completely honest with you. I intended to watch the whole thing by the by the recording of this podcast. Uh, Hurricane Harvey, Steve Harvey, had other 
<laughs> oh no, he's, he's, he's got teeth, man. He's he, had, teeth. he had other plans in mind. Uh, I was without power for most of yesterday. I've gone through episode six. I know Chris has gone through most of them. Tim, Tim, the super fan, you have actually seen the entire show, and not only that, probably like a week ago, I think. Uh, which is kudos to you. I mean, I'm 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 falling behind the ball here, but let's let's. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess we're only we're gonna sort of be talking about it in in general terms, but uh, but just kind of sort of within the scope of maybe the first one or two episodes, Tim, if you can remember back then for us, uh, what were your first impressions of the show? It's kind of interesting because I've actually seen I've seen all the Netflix series except Jessica Jones. I okay. didn't make it past the third episode, but I had a a fairly good grasp as to what was going on. I could tell right. from how events turned out in Luke Cage and in Iron Fist, kind of how all of that played out. And um, of course, I think in the first two episodes, you're mostly just setting up your players for the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're assembling the characters, finding out how they all interact and get together with each other. Um, some loose ends are kind of tied up in terms of what is the hand, who are the members. You're introduced to Sigourney Weaver, who's the bad guy. Um, Basically, she plays the antagonist, Alexandra, and there's some spoilers towards the end as to what her fate is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first two episodes is just a setup. I don't really think that you don't get into the meat of the series until maybe episodes three and four when the players actually start mm-hmm. to come together. I, I feel in a lot of ways that it is sort of reminding the audience as to who these characters are, where they left off. There's some repetition uh, I think the most interesting take is by episode two, you find out that Matt Murdock is basically in superhero rehab, where basically Karen Page and Foggy are asking him, you're not doing it anymore, are you? And he's right. like, no, I'm clean, clean, I'm not doing it. And it's <laughs> okay, that's good. We're just checking up on you, making sure that you're not back doing it. I thought that was kind of funny, because uh, I thought to myself, you have this universe where I'm assuming in the MCU all the superheroes are kind of part of the, the landscape, the lay of the land. And right. here you have Daredevil and his two friends are basically like, hey, we're keeping track we're, we're keeping track with you just to make sure that you don't relapse. And I thought that right. was really funny because I thought, well, I don't know how this is going to play out for the rest of the series because uh, you can't really have the defenders unless you have Daredevil. And if, if he's being held back by other characters, that's kind of odd. So that's where, I guess, we left off. They mentioned somewhere else, I don't know if it's in the first two episodes, but it implied that it's been maybe nine months to a year since Daredevil Season 2. So, I mean, they do have right. to kind of catch us back up on what he's up to. Mm. So I thought that was interesting because it has been a while since I've seen it, since Season 2. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, um, yeah, what is he up to? Uh, so basically, that's what he's up to. <laughs> he's in uh, superhero rehab that's, for the time being. That's a really making interesting... Sure... <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Chris. His sorry. Fr- sorry, his friend's making sure he doesn't get another hit of heroism. Right, is... right. <laughs> it's. I mean, that's an excellent point because, uh, one, so much has happened, you know, with all of the different characters having their each of their own individual shows. I think that was pretty smart of the show to kind of catch everyone up or just kind of like re, you know, just kind of gave us an idea, a lay of the land. But, but Tim, that is an excellent point because in so much of the MCU, like in the movies, they, they glorify the heroism of everything, right? Like it's right. Everything's bright and big, but, but yeah, that's, I didn't even think about it that way, but that's really interesting. It is very tantamount to to Matt being a drug addict, they're like, you know, like <laughs> they're really self-destructive concerned. at least, right? Yeah, and and it's and it and and you know he even he almost even has like, 
you know, the embarrassment and, you know, again, we are kind of going to touch on it, but like when he meets, um, I think foggy in the bar, you know, he's like, I could see it on your knuckles and Matt's like embarrassed, right? Almost like right. a junkie would be embarrassed of his track marks kind of thing. Right. And that's, that's a really interesting point. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, it's definitely the other side of the superhero game that you don't really see. Uh, more like in the movies, like in Iron Man, where everything looks so glamorous for the most part. Um, <laughs> and don't for... forget Spider-Man: Homecoming, where yeah. assuming and Spider-Man: Homecoming obviously takes place in the same universe, but mm-hmm. there's a key scene in Homecoming that I thought really set the tone for, I guess, how they're going to move forward. And it's the part where Peter Parker is in Queens and he's kind of bored because, other than helping people get unlock their car and stuff like that he's performing menial tasks he's in this really safe neighborhood and uh, someone sees him on a on the rooftop and they said are you really spider-man he said yeah well do a flip and <laughs> it's funny because yeah. in that universe uh, that that is organic to it because you assume well these people they see these superheroes all the time spider-man's really not a big deal he's basically just the neighborhood you know watchdog yeah. uh, so it's no it's it's not a big thing to see him uh, perform such a small task and it's very different from let's say the sam raimi movies where he is the only superhero in that universe so it's a big deal when you see him and so i was thinking to myself well one thing i'd like to see explore later on is how do they reconcile that why is it that for matt murdoch not to be a superhero that's re- a real thing is it because of the culture of hell's kitchen is it because he just has two really overprotective friends like what it, how how do they play in the larger tapestry one thing that mm. they still do is they almost none of the characters want to refer to what happened in the avengers movies they all refer to it as the incident or right, <laughs> the right. battle of new york is spoken yeah. with in hushed tones uh and so I, I think that's i think in a way it's good it sets it apart from the mcu so i think at any time if they wanted to disconnect from it they could uh but i think for, I guess, us uh, fans who are fairly observant in this matter, we're kind of asking ourselves, like, well, we're still not really sure how this part of the universe plays a role in the, the larger whole. Uh, it's almost as if the creators are saying, well, it doesn't, so we're doing our own thing. Right, almost like almost like they're playing both sides of that fence, just in case, uh, you know, in terms of how the characters interact in the larger arc of the, the MCU storyline. Uh, Chris, do you have any uh, other thoughts on on Defenders? I know, uh, I think you just watched the episodes recently. Yeah, just number one and two, basically. Um, so I haven't really, I need to do, do my due diligence here and catch up. Um, yeah, no, kind of what struck me was, uh, I, I thought the Daredevil bits were, like, excellently done. Um, I, I guess he has the, been the most fleshed out character among the Netflix, the Net, the Netflix crew. So um, it makes sense that they would spend more time on him, kind of like, and they would, we already know that character. We've had familiarity. So I thought, you know, whatever it was his stuff that was going on, it, it really felt right. It really landed well. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of Danny Rand still around. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Tim, there's there's an ongoing joke. I mean, it's not even really a joke at this point that we reference the name Danny Rand a lot because in the Iron Fist series, they say his name just constantly. Constantly, and then even yeah. in defenders, like once per page, yeah, they're 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 still saying his name so much. I don't I don't understand <laughs> why this happens. And, um, and it, just the scenes with him and Colleen. It's uh, if it was just Colleen, it'd be better, just because she wouldn't have to be like, "Are you sure we're doing the right thing? We're doing the right thing, right? <laughs> I think we're doing the right thing. We have to do the right thing, Danny. This is the right thing to do." It, it kind of all right. just boils down like that, and it really zerks him. But it's it's kind of weird. Like each like like the Avengers when the they were first introduced in the first act, I guess. 
they each kind of had their own little visual language almost incorporating their scenes. Like mm -hmm. Cap, Cap kind of looks like that uh, soft kind of glow with the lights. Uh, Tony looks like, you know, it's very polished, very well put together. And when Thor comes in, it's all, you know, shadows and, and lightning and stuff. So in this one, they were doing kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really cool. But then the other end of it, <laughs> I guess by episode two, um, when I forget what the scene is, but I think it's Luke Cage walking on the street with um, uh, there's walking on the street, I think maybe with the, the detective and uh, the camera is kind of like following them along. And there's like a chain link fence in, in the foreground. And just like the tops of it is kind of like, you know, perforating the scene. And it, it, got, it really was irksome to me. It's just so, for some reason, like every shot in the first two in the first two episodes, like uh, 80 percent of the shots felt like the one scene from Bad Boys. Where Will Smith and Mark Short stand up, it just, oh, the camera yeah. just can't stop. Camera moving. will not stop moving. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was the DP doing? <clears throat> so uh, you know what I think is happening here is that even though it is a Netflix series and and all of the Marvel series have been successful, um, they're they're trying to stretch the budget, and I think by the DP was what they were trying to do is 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 add action where there is no action you know what i mean like so yeah. so but i definitely know what you mean uh the camera moves around a lot anytime matt is on a roof anywhere or or trying to concentrate i'm like here we go we're gonna start yeah. spinning around <laughs> like hold on to your there seats was, yeah there's one sequence of, of at least like um at least 10 or 12 cuts where there's you know they were moving back and forth in a conversation but instead of the ca uh, camera being a three force it was like three force but with a you know a uh, uh, pan to the left, a three force pan to the right. Yeah. You know, it, it was just moving the frame unnecessarily. Yeah, it I, gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> they, they really, especially once the and it's kind of cool. Like what I think happened. I mean, Tim, tell me if you think. I think what happened is they saw that really cool scene in Avengers, right, where we see the whole team together and the camera pans around all of them, <laughs> and you're like, "Whoa, what a moment!" They they were like they just fell in love with it, and they're like, "We're gonna do this every chance we get <laughs> in Defenders." Um, it was it was that cool because it was that only shot that looked like that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. if yeah. you're gonna eat just gushers for your lunch, you're gonna it's you're gonna have a bad time. <laughs> wow, a gushers reset. That's what people come for on the podcast. Uh, old nineties fruit snacks. Um, gushers and gogurt. We got don't gogurt. Gogurt. Yeah, man. Yeah. Gotta have the gogurt in there. Just <laughs> forget yeah, the, the, forget the, the, the thing pizza. about it is that um, I was telling this to my friend. I, I actually didn't even realize that Defenders was coming out until it popped up in my Netflix queue where mm -hmm. it was, you know, that big kind of countdown clock that started on a Monday, I think, counting down to it. And yeah. I thought to myself, like, what? Defenders comes out this Friday? It didn't see it, it, it seemed to be such a long time between seasons, like Daredevil season one, Daredevil season two. He kind of had some time to get pumped up about it. And I thought to myself, Maybe I'm just getting older, but didn't we just have Iron Fist? And now we have the Defenders. They're really going full speed with this. Um, and uh, no spoilers. No, not really spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything. But <laughs> one of the things is um, that I, I kind of criticized in the first episode was, uh, and you all have seen it, but the very first five minutes takes place in Cambodia. And yeah. I told, I was making fun of it with a friend of mine. And I said, what was the point of having that in Cambodia? Because they literally show a crowded street for one second and it says 
by the way, we're in Cambodia. Now let's go to the, to the sewers. <laughs> to the sewers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, was, it was completely in the dark. Like, you couldn't see anything. The camera was moving around so fast, and it was dark. I couldn't even tell what was going on. And then this guy's like, ugh, before I die, you're in the wrong place. You got to go to New York. York. And I thought to myself, well, then the scene was kind of pointless. Why not just fight in New York in the sewer and have him be like, ugh, you guys are uh, in the wrong place. Like, this is the lead you need to follow. I just thought to myself, after finishing the series, I go back to that one scene, the very first scene, and I think to my myself, that scene was essentially pointless. I mean, not unless they wanted to to prove that the hand was this worldwide threat, which right. we'll get to later on. Doesn't really seem like it in the last eight episodes. <laughs> uh, scope is a big issue I had with the series as a whole, but I just thought that that first scene uh, was kind of indicative of, I, I think they might have rushed the production. Uh, mm. They didn't really take their time with making very careful decisions on how to film certain scenes, how to set up the script in a more fluid way. Uh, so I had some little nitpicks about it, but I mean, since we're talking about the first two episodes, I, I thought I'd mention that because that's literally the first scene that you see. Yeah. <laughs> I almost, I almost kind of had a feeling like I wanted, wanted to rage quit because I did pause immediately when that uh, like title card came up. It said Nam Ven and right. it, it was all lowercase <laughs> and it was all aerial, I think. Or yeah, like uh, very the font boring was, font. Yeah, they didn't even like try to copy Marvel uh, Agents of Shield's font or nothing right. like that. It, it, on the lower right hand corner, <laughs> it, it just <laughs> from a layout from a typesetting point of view, I just I just got really annoyed really quickly. So I paused. I kind of took a breath and I continued the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, the the thing about Defenders, uh, looking at the internet, because the internet is everything, right? They're always <laughs> the, right. The like opinion of the correct. internet is always correct. Uh, I'm sure it's a, <laughs> an artist and a creator, Tim. You you know what that's like, but it's very divisive, right? The the opinion on Defenders, like some people seem to love it, some people are not not having it. They're not here for it. Uh, again, I've I've watched the first six. I I enjoy it, uh, but I definitely see all the flaws. And mm-hmm. and you speaking to the the rush of production, I think, and and even saying that it so closely follows Iron Fist in terms of time frame, that yeah, that that really does seem like maybe that did play a role, um, because one thing that I've noticed with this with this particular show, since you're bringing all of these characters together, I felt like it should be bigger than it is. Yeah, uh, like I completely grander, agree. You know. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I would recommend it, especially for the listeners of this podcast. Like if you're fans of these characters, it's cool to see them on screen. I do love Charlie Cox as Matthew Murdock and Daredevil. I think it's really interesting. Anytime you see Charlie Cox and or Daredevil, you know, as Daredevil or Matt Murdock, and then Finn Jones as Danny Rand, Iron Fist, <laughs> and people love the way Daredevil is. Per- portrayed and they hate the way iron fist is portrayed and then when you have them both like in the same room it's even more apparent how you know imbalanced that is how unbalanced uh it is in in terms of the depiction of those characters uh you know whereas daredevil comes off as really cool and and there's so many interesting layers danny rand and iron fist seems somewhat petulant would you all agree (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, that's being, an understatement. Yeah, I'm about to say that's being polite. <laughs> Maybe it has There's to do that. with the the ratio of like the shirt on the torso <laughs> time. 
Uh, there was something that they did with Iron Fist, or I'm sorry, there's something they did with Daredevil that they didn't do with Iron Fist, and I think that's where the suspension of disbelief comes in, is that you'll notice that I think whenever you ask anyone, what was your favorite scene in Daredevil Season 1? What was the scene that really cemented it for you? Most people will say that stairway scene, the long shot mm-hmm. where the camera mm-hmm. does not move, uh, we're at least given a treat to see, okay, in case we make camera edits later on at least you know that this guy is a bare knuckles brawler that he can really take on a bunch of guys just look at all these people he beats up in this hallway you know that this guy is serious business so in your mind going into daredevil season two going into defenders there's no question about it you know daredevil's awesome because he, he took on all those people in the stairway right. uh, that's what's sort of ingrained in your mind the problem with danny rand iron fist is that the camera pans so much right. whenever he's fought in Iron Fist, his own series, to make up for the actor's obvious lack of mm. martial arts capability. There is not one second that I believe that Iron Fist is the most powerful kung fu master in the universe. I just don't. He gets his, his butt handed to him so right. constantly. Right. And the camera cheats for him so much. It's like, okay, I know he's fighting this one guy, so there's no reason why the camera shouldn't be shaking all the time, but we're going to shake the camera just to show that these punches don't actually land and we can make up for it later on. But they don't. And uh, I think that's the problem, um, you know, aside from the petulance. I think the petulance, if it were just that, I would be able to to deal with it simply because you can chalk that up to inexperience. You could chalk that up to him being very young. To his youth, but right. To youth, correct. But when there's scenes where Colleen Wing is a more convincing master of martial arts than he is that's a problem and i i'm I'm very forgiving i always feel that later on um they can make up for it uh through character progression and stuff like that and i'll i'll watch a season two uh hands down if they have it out there um but if we're just trying to judge it based solely on how he's appeared in the defenders plus iron fist i think the ire of the fans (laughs) regarding him i think it's it's partially justified just because i think he's definitely the weak link um in all of them and I'll, I'll be willing to give the writer some credit maybe that's how they intended him to be uh but he's he's not he he might be danny rand the immortal iron fist but to me he's just danny rand <laughs> right. that's all he yeah. that's all that comes across really i think he spent too much time in a westerosi cell um <laughs> he, he kind of lost some muscle mass on the acting side yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah for sure so okay so i think chris you've seen the first few i've seen the first six Dan, uh tim you've seen the whole thing I, I almost feel like we all have the same opinion here, which is which is fine, but that you should see the show, but maybe temper your expectation on whatever Danny Rand's doing at any particular moment. <laughs> is, that, is that fair? Uh, okay, let's let's move on, uh, move forward to this. This is golly, like uh, I, I don't want to spend too too much time on this, but I feel like there's so much that we could unpack here because it's crazy news. Like, what is what are Warner Brothers in DC doing? Um, this could be they're, good. They're, this could be they're good. coming off the success of Wonder Woman, the, the highest grossing origin film of all time now. That's true. Did did just recently beat the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And, and that's fantastic. I'm really glad that people are responding to Wonder Woman. Um, but this is such an odd thing. And it's, it's okay. Let me, let me, let me actually announce what it is. Uh, so Martin Scorsese and the hangover director, Todd Phillips are in talks to make a Joker origin film. It's a standalone film. It's going to be set in the 80s. It's not going to star Jared Leto. And it's not going to be a part of the DCEU. So that's <laughs> that's a lot of stuff right there. Um, 
uh, Chris, let's start off with you here. What, just pick one of those things. To, oh my to god! Talk about. I, I, I already you... know the it's Todd Phillips. So, yeah. you know, we go to the Comic Cons like you know it's our it's our hobby. We go there. We see posters all the time of like famous movies with comic book characters or video game characters kind of inserted. I want this movie just to be The Hangover with Joker. With Joker, <laughs> maybe Harley Quinn, uh, throwing Two Face, throwing the Penguin. Yeah. Just have them all do recreate the events of The Hangover. I think you'd finally have a fun movie from DCEU. Um, but yeah, no, I, this is this is an odd decision. Um, I did not know that it wasn't going to be kind of you know, core, it wasn't going to be a part of the DCEU. I, I guess maybe Joker's origin story is kind of that way. It always changes kind of depending on who's telling it. Um, but yeah, this is out there. Yeah. So Tim, what what do you what do you think about this news? Just like how does it strike you? Do you think this is a good direction for them to go in? Uh, like it's it's just so I, it odd. Um, I, I my approach to the DCEU is very different than um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've noticed that there's a big divide between fans. I, I've noticed that people tend to be pretty diametrically opposed. You're either a diehard DC universe fan or you're a diehard marvel fan and i think it's because they're, they have such different tones as far as their movies are constructed yeah but i think that what dc is doing is uh maybe they're taking a cue from the first guardians of the galaxy movie and they're spitballing um basically the idea that okay instead of maybe going for tone that's in similarity between all these movies maybe if we start branching out and trying other things then then it'll work and so when I announced that, I mean, a couple things came to mind. I read the article, and Martin Scorsese, just, he's going to be the producer, so not even really in a directorial role. Right. Uh, and that can, that can mean a lot of things, because typically producers can be either very involved and they have their fingerprints all over it, or they could just be the person saying yes, yes, no, no to everything, and they, they have kind of a hands-off approach. So um, if they go in a, in a very different direction, um, maybe making it more of a comedy, I mean um, – you do have the Hangover series, which, if you think about, it, is it's kind of a dark comedy. As the yeah. sequels go, it actually gets darker and darker in tone. Um, it could be neat, and I mean, I think I think the possibility of having an Elseworld cinematic universe it opens up a lot of potential. If you think about it, the animated DC movies yes. are essentially Elseworld stories. Yeah, there's a there's a direct line between some of them. They're definitely connected, but some of them are definitely chan- tangential. And I know they've had a lot of success with those. So I, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. Um, my yeah. favorite story to tell about Guardians of the Galaxy was I did not know anything about it at all going into the movie. And then leaving there, I just thought to myself, this was this is one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. And I think that that was Marvel's way of really testing the waters and saying to themselves, if can we introduce an unknown uh, factor into our cinematic pool? And if it's successful... If we can do it with one of the more obscure teams in our universe, then we can do anything that we want. So I wouldn't be surprised if DC is kind of thinking the same thing. I know that as far as money is concerned, uh, I know I think that their movies are a lot more polarizing to fans. Um, you, you'll always find people split on everything, whether it's uh, Man of Steel, whether it's Batman versus Superman. It tends to be a little bit more um, division, whereas for Marvel, like I said, you either love it or you hate it. And most people, like I think their lowest rated film was maybe iron man 3 or thor 2 and even then it's you know 68 70 percent uh so I, I think that them spitballing ideas is better than maybe staying the course so uh and I, I don't see anything wrong with it uh i i'm really really hoping that 
we get a scene in the movie that has Bruce Wayne's parents dying for him, like in the mansion with like a bat flying through, you know, because we've never seen that before. I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. But <laughs> as, 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 as long as they're uh, not he's treading. He's sitting next to the bar next to Joe Chill. Yeah, exactly. As long as they're not treading old territory, right. uh, I'm, I'm up for it. I mean, um, how many origins of Spider-Man have we seen in the last yeah, 20 years right. and, 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 <laughs> and uh, i know for homecoming they basically just said look we're not even gonna go over to origin anymore because uh we're not patronizing patronizing our fans we we realized that y'all probably know how y'all know origin it works right we yeah i'll know it uh that's a that's an excellent point i i actually think it's funny because and and chris and i have are big fans of the dc animated films as well yeah in fact i'll throw a quick plug out to it we'll end up covering this on a future pod because it technically hasn't come out yet but i saw the uh, batman harley quinn animated movie that's coming out next week and it's it's really good it's really funny um so again they 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 keep they keep hitting it out of the park on the animated side um you know chris you know we've we've talked about this previously as to what should dc do with their films because it seems like they're so fine so far behind marvel in terms of building the cinematic universe but the more i think about it this is maybe the way to go uh the other thing is that apparently matt reeves who's going to be directing the batman trilogy uh, mm-hmm. He has said that those films are not going to be part of the DCEU either. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty crazy. But I think maybe maybe that is the way you go. Maybe you yeah. do just you do just go back to telling stories. Like, forget connecting everything. Um, yeah, you know, you had Richard Donner with the original Superman films, and and right. those were amazing. Those stand the test of time. We talked about Christopher Nolan, and man, that guy can direct the hell out of a film. His Batman trilogy is amazing. It doesn't need to connect to anything. If you get Scorsese, Tim, speaking to the point that you had, if you have Scorsese, be a little hands-on with it. I mean, the guy did Taxi Driver. Like, Mm -hmm. if you you give that scope to it, to a Joker film, I think that could be beautiful. I think that could be amazing. Um, maybe this is the way to go either like to do like an Elseworlds type scenario or just, you know what, maybe here and there do a connective DCEU film, but for the most part, just do your own thing and just tell your own stories with these great directors and hopefully great writers separately. Like, don't be so concerned about connecting everything that, that actually might work for them. I think the most compelling uh, narrative to me now is like the DCEU narrative is like metatextually because now they're like, I don't have to be my brother. I can be my own self. I can, I can study my own things. I can... They're getting out of the <laughs> shadow of Marvel. Engineer. Yeah. 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 Uh, so no, I, I definitely think that's like, uh, maybe like even a step ahead of Marvel because Marvel with Thor Ragnarok, at least it seems like maybe one offs of the way Marvel's going to go after the whole, you know, infinity war saga is over. Thing, yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that honestly, I feel like for us, for the fans, that would be great. If, if DC and Warner Brothers go back to just focusing on telling individual great stories with maybe really uh, driven directors like they did with Tim Burton and Christopher Nolan, you know, maybe Todd Phillips. Yeah. Of course, but but yeah. that is that is such that's so different from what Marvel's doing that that's great. That gives people 
like very very different options not just tonally you know like tim you were saying earlier but now you're presenting totally different things within a comic book you know spectrum and and that just that's just better for everybody i really think that might be the way to go um I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be—it's just real weird, you know. That that Scorsese and Todd Phillips of all people uh, to want to do a DC film. I mean, cool, cool. I think, I think. If is, you, it, is it that mainstream that the A-listers are starting to get interested? I mean, I th- A-A-listers. Going back to Christopher Nolan, I think once you get Christopher Nolan on board, and even you know before he started the Batman films, he wasn't that that big of a name, but like. Once you have someone with that pedigree that's that that's that talented, then you just let them run with it. Um, okay, well, uh, move, moving on uh, to we talked about this before, uh, but it's finally been confirmed. I swear that we confirmed it like a month ago, <laughs> but uh, they are going forward with an Obi Wan solo film, and it's I don't want to talk so much about what that's going to be or what it could be. Um, although I do think it is kind of interesting that the director that's attached right now is a guy named Stephen Daldry, Daldry, or Daldry. Uh, and for those who don't know who that is, you would be forgiven because he's the guy who directed Billy Elliot. I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, great. Sure. That's a good movie, but not the first name I would associate with a, with a Star Wars project. Um, but my question to you all and Tim, we'll start with you, is what do you think about these these offshoot films that they're doing? Like, they're doing the Rogue One, they're going to be doing the Han Solo film, which has just been tumultuous in terms of production so far, uh, and now they're apparently they're going to be doing an Obi-Wan film. Do you think this is, this is something they should be doing um, to develop characters that we already know? Should they be doing totally new characters instead of retreading you know people that we already know or should they not be doing these offshoot films at all should they just stick to the kind of saga uh films and and story arcs um well if you had asked my opinion maybe two years ago i think it would have been very different because um i actually i really like the way things are going right now i like the force awakens and i really loved rogue one Mm -hmm. um and i have a very i have a very strange opinion about rogue one even though i feel like um, the Force Awakens is perhaps a more entertaining movie. I feel like Rogue One is a better produced movie, um, and one big reason was how it it expands the universe. One problem I had with the Force Awakens was it was such an intimate story, and it was it was trying to establish these new characters that I think it maybe it's because we were so used to it in the prequel trilogy, but I never got a sense of scope. And one of the things that I had always wondered was. In the years that came after Return of the Jedi, how had the universe changed? Uh, what were the factions like? What did planets look like? Um, how developed was the Republic? What are we dealing with here? And that was something that, you know, to his credit, George Lucas got pretty well with um, the prequel trilogy. He had the technology to show different planets and show populations, show some of the politics, and show some of the ordinary citizenry. And in Force Awakens, you never really got that sense. Uh, in fact, when they blew up all those planets, when the when Starkiller base blew them up, mm-hmm. uh, there was no real emotional connection because it was kind of like uh, we're literally seeing this planet maybe two seconds before it <laughs> explodes. So I, I really don't huh. know like how big is the fir- 
how big is the First Order? Is it just a, like a junta, like a, a small paramilitary group that's holed up here? How big is the, the resistance? Uh, none of these questions are really, it's my opinion, satisfactorily answered. Whereas in Rogue One, even though it's supposed to be a smaller film, you really had this sense of how big that universe was. And so you really felt like you were playing, they were playing in the Star Wars sandbox. So Rogue One, in my opinion, it really dispelled a lot of my expectations. So I have high hopes for these spin-off movies. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, Han Solo. I think it, it, it has the potential to be very good. It, they've had a good track record so far. But mm-hmm. my only criticism, um, it, w- it would depend on progression because it's the same criticism I have right now towards the Marvel movies and the Netflix series. You don't want to get too bloated. You don't want to get too overinflated because then you're going to have superhero or cape fatigue where People like me, you know, have a budget. Um, I allocate some of it towards my entertainment. But if you're bombarding me with a lot of movies all at once, uh, it's hard to juggle all of that together, um, especially the older you get, it's, unless you're just a diehard fan who, who keeps track of this stuff and is willing to pay the money. Uh, for example, question I would have is, I know in the recent episode of Star Wars Rebels, which I think is ending pretty soon, mm-hmm. they explain what happened with Darth Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, they explained that they had an encounter in the Tatooine Desert um, in between episodes three and four. That's great, but if you're going to have an Obi-Wan movie, are you going to retread and step over yourself? Because, I mean, I thought it was kind of nice that whenever they, whenever Marvel acquired Lucasfilm, they ignored a lot of the pre-existing continuity. I know a lot of people hated it, but part of the reason that was good was they were already stepping on themselves as far as keeping tabs with what's canon and what's not. Mm. Um, I think as far as having one Star Wars movie a year, I think that's great. I think that's a great pace. That's that's how the Marvel movies used to be. At the most, two movies a year was all you'd have to keep up with. Now I can't honestly keep track. I mean, that's the entire reason why I didn't even finish Jessica Jones was... I got through three episodes. Something else popped up on Netflix I thought sounded cool. I ended up watching that, got distracted. Mm-hmm. And then now, I mean, think of all the mo- the series that you have out there. Fox has um, Legion. I think there's a new one called The Gifted coming out. Right. I know that some of the other stations, I know like ABC is going to get Inhumans. Then you have Cloak and Dagger. Um, <clears throat> and back then, all you had to worry about was, what's the Marvel movie coming out? And, yeah. oh, choosing between Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter, which is a miniseries, uh, and it was fairly simple. So I think I, I'm guessing that Star Wars is a much more precious baby to them um, because I think a lot of people think it's a lot more sacred. So I think that it, it all depends on size and it all depends on quality. I think if they take their time and really, really do their best to make the movies good, then I don't really have a problem with it. Um, just don't make the mistake of stepping on your own toes as you move forward. Right, or cutting corners in terms of the production or the, the script or anything. You know, it's funny, you said all those things. You didn't, you also, you, uh, there's still also new Warriors coming out. There's oh, yeah, Runaways. Runaways. Yeah. There's Arrow, Flash, <laughs> Supergirl, <laughs> Legends yeah. of Summer. There's like, you know, and Chris and I have mentioned this before, it is the best time ever to be, to be a, a geek. geek and nerd, but it's also. Right incredibly overwhelming um right in, in, kinda, in, in the best way possible but still you know yeah i hope there's not like a dot-com bubble burst type situation with all this <laughs> i mean it is possible. there might be yeah. i mean it is yeah I, I don't think you can get too comfortable with it because i think the same thing can happen um 
it's like, for example, even though we had a few hits during the summer, you know, one, I think Wonder Woman did very, very well. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, my gosh. Spy- I was looking at the number of Spider-Man Homecoming. It did very well its first weekend, and it supposedly had the biggest drop percentage-wise for, um, like, a superhero movie between week one and week two. Mm-hmm. And that was despite having, like, an A rating on yeah, Rotten really Tomatoes. Good review. Like, what else can you do? Like, it, it had fantastic exactly. reviews. Yeah, and, that really surprised me as well. Well, and I think, I forgot which website it was, but someone actually did some polling, and they asked people, um, well, did you watch Spider-Man? And if not, why? And a lot of them just said, well, we had a Spider-Man movie a few years ago, and it looks good, but I don't really want to pay $10 to go see it in the theater. I'll wait for Redbox and watch on Redbox. And so I think that's where this whole theory of cape fatigue is emerging, mm-hmm. where it's like there's so much out there. It's, there's such a glut of it that unless there's just a movie that knocks it out of the park, you have to really pull teeth to try and draw people in. And I think that's why Marvel is probably – they're pacing themselves pretty well with Star Wars. I mean I think we can all deal with one movie a year. We think that's pretty cool. They always time it's it like for an the event. Holidays. It's like an event. It's yeah. like an event, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, whereas, if you think about, um, let's say, Guardians of the Galaxy two, Spider Man Homecoming, they all—I mean—they're not really timed to any particular thing. Whereas, yeah. I think all the Star Wars movies are Christmas movies, so it's like a perfect time yeah. to to time it. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point, and 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 you know, unless you're something like Wonder Woman, right, which is presenting something very different, you know, something. Um, you know, one, it's a DC character in a solo film, so we're not getting a lot of those. Uh, but it's it's a female-led superhero film. Um, it, it had a good script. It had a great director. So maybe the fatigue doesn't doesn't hit that movie so hard. Versus, like you said, a Spider-Man, where people did just have a Spider-Man movie not that long ago. We've never seen mm-hmm. a Wonder Woman before, though. You know, not right. not beyond beyond the little cameo in Batman vs Superman, which is really, yeah. I, I I do I do worry about Marvel, uh, sort of doing trying to do too much, especially now with the Spider Man film. Now, granted, I'm the biggest Spider Man fan in the world, um, you know, so I say, but, and I'll take all the Spider Man movies I can ever have. Uh, you have Sony making those, so now in your slate of films, not only do you have all the, the Marvel Studios films coming out. Now you have Sony making a Spider-Man film that's also going to be coming out along with those others. So like you said, not just one Marvel film a year, maybe two, maybe three. Hell, maybe maybe four at some point. And then, then you really start running into problems, I think. Um, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, I think Star Wars, I agree, Tim. I think Star Wars is doing fantastic in terms of their one movie a year sort of uh, business model. Uh, let me ask you this real quick. Do, do you are you looking more forward to the the Obi Wan film or a Han Solo film? Between those two? Uh, I'd have to say probably probably Han Solo just because um, it, the character is is so iconic that and I I think he's not as divisive as um, Obi Wan and by that I mean that Obi Wan had he was he was a key player in the prequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy is by nature pretty divisive and it's funny because when i think we're all kind of older uh we're definitely adults and so i think that we kind of have an an equal standing on the prequel trilogy in terms of its quality and i thought that was a universally agreed upon concept and then i started meeting people in their early 20s and they were just like i I love the prequel trilogy like i love anakin and it was it was crazy (laughs) but then i had to i had to think to myself 
these people like that was their Star Wars. That was their introduction. They, they, yeah, exactly. They grew up. They might have been like six or seven when those movies came out, and we might have derided it because we thought it was terrible. But we were coming in as maybe teenagers or people in our twenties. Uh, these people were coming in as kids, and so they loved it. They loved growing up with the Clone Wars. That to them was Star Wars, and so they probably they like Obi Wan. They love Obi Wan. Um, they are more looking forward to it because that is their Obi Wan. Whereas to us, it's more like. Jeez, oh, I mean, this can go one of two ways. I mean, <laughs> I, I've I've read a lot of textual analysis on on the character, and a lot of it to me is really funny. Uh, kind of like how if you look at the prequel trilogy objectively, the Jedi were kind of terrible. Like they didn't really know what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> they 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 had like the enemy right under their noses, and they never really did anything about it. Uh, Yoda's predictions throughout the trilogy itself were all terrible. Like no, never came to be <laughs> the way that they expected it to. Um, and so we have years and years of criticism kind of leveled um, on the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, whereas Han Solo, I mean, heck, he basically he'll been in four movies. Uh, he's the he's the, the cowboy gunslinger from outer space. He's really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, and if we can if we can revisit that now that he's dead. Uh, spoiler alert. It's nice to revisit it again. And I, I think the, the actor that they got to play him, I haven't seen him in many roles, but I think uh, someone posted his um, his audition online, and he seems to be pretty good. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always say I want all of these things to be good. I just want them to be enjoyable and good and entertaining. I, I sincerely hope that, that happens with Han Solo and and with the Obi Wan film. Chris, I would ask you which one you're looking forward to. I know it's Han <laughs> Solo. I know it's because Lando's in it. I know you're all in for Lando, for uh, Donald we, Glover. We, I think we just truly belong up here in the clouds. Yeah, that's that's all I think. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I want to see, I want to see the Colt Forty Five commercials come back. Uh, I want to see uh, everything associated with Lando. Um, no, I was thinking of it just now as, as uh, Tim was speaking, but yeah, it's kind of the difference between. Um, would you rather see a story about a rogue, or would you rather see a story about a paladin? Because that's the kind of options you get. Um, right. And granted, you, I mean. I, uh, it'd be so amazing if, uh, like, it was just kind of like a samurai type, type of tale for Obi Wan, like he's a Ronin, he's masterless wandering samurai. But that'd be really cool to see, just a really kind of a darker take. But there's some Kurosawa stuff in there. Why not, right? Yeah. Some Yojimbo. Um, but no, no. What I'm thinking is this: they should get Todd Phillips to mm-hmm. direct it, and it's like a it's like a Hangover type movie. Because <laughs> what, really, what, what really happened on Tatooine was nice. Obi Wan. I mean, you want to know how he knew where most Isley Cantina was and how he ah. knew how scum and villainy. <laughs> he he wasn't just on Tatooine just doing random adventures. <laughs> I mean, he was. It's a barren wasteland, you know. He was up to stuff. There. You got to throw back. Really interesting. Oh, the cold ones, yeah. That's good time. You get Watto in there somehow, like get Watto in yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Breaking, oh. breaking Obi Wan. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would be nice. Good, good times. Good times. Okay. He's making blue, blue kyber crystals. Oh, it's <laughs> 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 oh, awesome. Okay, let's let me let me dour the do dour the mood here real quick. Um. <laughs> So director Roel uh, Rainey, I guess is how you pronounce his name, uh, he's the guy who's going to be directing the premiere episode for Marvels and Humans, which is uh, doing this weird thing where it's going to IMAX, and then it's going to go on to ABC. 
has said something really interesting recently in an interview. Now, the 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 trailers that we've seen by and large for this show have been derided and panned. Uh, people are not happy with it for a variety of reasons. But he kind of threw this out there, and, and I don't know if it's a bit of um, you know, just trying to get people's interest back up, or or, or exactly what his gambit is here. But he apparently has said that Medusa and Black Bolt are the actual villains of Inhumans uh, of the show, which is really interesting. It's a it's a very different take on the characters, if that is true, sort of how they're portrayed uh, in their Marvel comic book counterparts. Uh, we'll go, we'll go to you first, Chris, if you don't mind, uh, one, what do you think about that? What do you think about subverting the roles of the characters like that? Uh, and ultimately, are you going to give Inhumans a chance? (laughs) Uh, I'm all for that. I mean, I think, uh, and again, I'm coming to most of these characters from the MCU part, uh, point of view. So I I don't have the backstory of like, you know, um, the, the, for example, the Mandarin and uh, Iron Man 3. I thought it was perfectly fine what they did with that character. I know that a lot of people, a lot of Iron Man fans were really upset that they changed the kind of tone of the Mandarin. But to me, that was fine. It's it's whatever. It's The Mandarin, as his original incantation, was like kind of a yellow scare type thing. And here it was a little bit you know, more of a nuanced take on kind of the modern world. I, I think if you're writing stories in the modern setting, then by all means, choose whatever representation fits best. So for that, in, in that kind of uh, regard, I think, yeah... It, Totally fine to. I mean, we already have Inhumans, which already sounds a little sinister to begin with, just mm-hmm. etymologically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, if you're gonna make them villains, that's perfectly fine. Uh, that's should be all right with me. Um, I mean, that her her wig is already evil enough. I think. <laughs> uh, so, it got it got my attention. I believe it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, I think he's also weighed down by the fact that Ramsey Bolton is on the uh, cast. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, Maximus Boltagon. Like, is it Maximus Boltagon? Because I mean, he's black. He's Black Bolt's brother. Who, yeah, who I, I we, I... we've confirmed is Blackagar Boltagon. That's <laughs> that's his name, folks. That's, that's real life. Uh, yeah. So um, if you want to switch it up, that's cool. I'm. I'll. I'll try to check it out. I don't know if I'm going to check it out in IMAX. Uh, we might have to be kind of hammered uh, to make that a little bit more pa- uh, palatable. <laughs> but um. But yeah, no, I'll I'll give it a shot. I mean, it, I, it's always interesting to see what a you know quote unquote what what well no not a quote unquote they're getting paid for it right what a professional take on an origin story is. That's always kind of interesting to see. Even this far in the game, you know, they have had all these chances to do it. So yeah, no, I I give it a shot. So thanks, Chris, Tim. Uh, to you, uh, what do you what do you think about this reversal of of dynamic for the characters of Medusa and Black Bolt? And are you going to tune in? Is Inhuman something that you think is worthwhile to this point? Yeah, it's. it was really funny. I don't really have a solid opinion on it simply because what I've seen of the comic, which isn't much, granted, anytime the Inhumans have appeared in the comic, I actually like them a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, they're kind of an underutilized faction of the Marvel Universe. They have a really interesting story. My introduction to them was Earth-X, where... Oh, okay. Um, the use of the Terrigen Mist played a huge role into that. And I know that either in the main continuity or in some sub-storylines, there have been cases where um, to kind of um, put the damper on any type of prejudice towards them as a race, as the Inhumans, um, there have been some storylines where they would just release the Terrigen Mist worldwide and just try to make everyone Inhuman. Again, that was the plot of Earth-X. So I think when he says that he's going to make Black Bolt and Medusa the villains – 
um, I don't necessarily mean, I don't, I don't think that that means that they're the antagonists. I think that they're, he might be meaning in a philosophical sense. If you think about it, mm. they're actually, they're the protagonists because they're the people you want to be rooting for, but they're the antagonists in terms of their intentions. It's kind of like in Breaking Bad, Walter White, um, up until the last season, he's doing some pretty terrible things. In essence, he's a villain, mm-hmm. but you root for him because he's essentially the guy who's um, headlining the cast. It's his he's story. The person who, yeah. It's his story. Uh, that he is sympathetic. Uh, so uh, I'm guessing that they're meaning that there's something there to that. I mean, they're a royal family. They're trying to cohabitate with humans. Um, again, I don't know anything about the plot. Uh, just going from what I know of the comic version of the Inhumans, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, he's he's alluding to something in there uh, that revolves around their intent, first and foremost. Um, and the other thing, too, about that is that really, as far as the series goes, if I do watch it, it's just because of Lockjaw. I, I really like <laughs> <Yeah>. Lockjaw. <laughs> he's definitely... He's a, yeah. He's a great character. Um, I, I, I gravitate naturally to the lesser-known characters in the Marvel Universe because they don't have as much baggage. Uh, they're very easy to like mm-hmm. simply because they're... Um, tabula rasas not much has been done with them um, and i know that as a spider-man fan uh you can probably understand yeah. this but that's why like my spy- my favorite spider-man character was ben riley uh, right hands down and, and people are like why he was in the awful clone saga and i said yeah but they killed him off which means that i've read all his books and that way i can be an expert on him because i know all about him now they brought him back to life and i was like oh man i don't want to read anymore <laughs> like just when i just when i knew this character now you're gonna you're gonna now you're adding adding to his story you're, exactly yeah. you're gonna you're gonna add to his story like you know he felt he falls in love with i don't know uh a gnome or something and i'm like <laughs> oh, why did you do that like he was a perfect character and now, now he's, he's, he's hooked up with a gnome and now it's terrible and people are gonna make fun of that at least at least back then with ben riley all i had to make deal with was ha ha he was in the clone saga right i can be like he's got blonde hair matter. i know the character that's all that matters and i, I know him very well lockjaw i mean how, how do you mess up a character like that? He's a pet. He's a dog. Everyone everyone likes pets. Everyone likes dogs. They inherently and, like, um, yeah, they inherently like him. They they, they, in, they inherently <laughs> like him. And so, like, I just finished reading uh, Lock John the Pet Avengers. I got the trade. It's it's such a good book. Um, I didn't know that was a <laughs> thing. That's a, I don't think you have to say anything <laughs> yeah, else. Out. That's a thing? That, I think yeah, everybody's yeah, in on thing. that. It's, um, yeah. it's called Lock John the Pet Avengers. There's two trades. Um, I picked up the... Last one, um, it's the one where they team up with Frog Thor. Nice, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm so in. I'm gonna and, go pick well, this up. I'm on board so hard. Oh, and the art is the art is wonderful. Um, I bought it on sale, like at a bookstore, mm-hmm. maybe um, two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Uh, it's it's such a great book, and I've liked I've liked Lockjaw and everything that he's been in. And so you know that when they put him in that trailer, it was kind of, they were aiming at people like me who were definitely kind of like uh might watch this might not oh oh, oh lockjaw Lock i'm in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm really glad you brought up lockjaw though actually because i'm a big miss marvel fan you know the kamala Khan oh, okay. miss marvel and when they brought lockjaw into that comic i was like yes like this is this just makes me love this series even more um but uh yeah i think i think the one positive that show has going for it to this point is Lockjaw. I think people are really in on Lockjaw just as a character. And even the the effect that they use for his teleportation is pretty right. cool. Like, I was really, mm-hmm. con- I was not concerned necessarily, but I was curious as to how are they going to show that? How are they going to portray right. that in a live action show? And, and it actually does look pretty neat. Um, I think I'm kind of with you, Chris, that if I were to see it in like the IMAX, as much as I love IMAX, 
I might need might need a few beverages to help me along there. Uh, I'm I'm really concerned about this show, to be honest, guys. Uh, you know, Marvel for the most part, maybe Iron Fist aside, has has hit almost everything out of the park that they've done. But this this show, uh, despite and I, I apologize, I'm forgetting the name of the actor, but the, the Ramsey Bolton, who's a, who's a fantastic actor, uh, being associated with the show. I don't know. I don't know if this one's going to do it. I don't know if it's going to make it. I almost feel like they should have just stuck with more Agent Carter miniseries uh, type things because those were pretty good. Uh, but we'll see, right? Uh, we'll see how this turns out. And um, I don't know. Let's hope it's good, as always, right? <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, this is just a little tidbit. Not, not a whole lot to cover here, but... The Hollywood Reporter has come out with, uh, I guess, an article, a news blurb, uh, which you will, that the uh, Walking Dead creators, producers, the the head guys, uh, Robert Kirkman among them, who's, of course, the creator of The Walking Dead, are suing AMC uh, for upwards of $1 billion. One billion dollars, right? Like, uh, like a freaking, la- freaking sharks with lasers. Sharks with freaking head. lasers, um, because apparently uh, AMC's been fudging the numbers that they use to calculate how the royalties work out, and I guess Kirkman and crew got wind of this and are like, "Nope, we uh, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna uh, play with that." So, but apparently both sides are in discussion, negotiation. They're apparently being friendly, at least in public, and that they they both have both sides have said that the show will continue. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are huge, huge uh, Walking Dead show fans, uh, and then many of them are also the comic fans. Uh, but uh, the reason I definitely wanted to to bring this topic up, Tim, as a creator and artist, uh, as somebody. Um, <clears throat> who makes a living off of, you know, creating things. What, what do you, uh, as with everything, right, the more money that there is to be made in any industry, the more likelihood that people will be greedy or underhanded. Um, do you think that artists and writers on the comic side as as the as their properties get optioned for television shows and movies, do you? Th- my question to you is: Do you think that that they should be concerned in terms of being taken advantage of? I think it's a, I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, I can kind of speak to this because I actually got started in merchandising, and in merchandising. The way you make money is by royalties. Uh, that's why you get into it. Um, the downside of it is being an artist in the merchandising sector, you don't get as much publicity. Uh, let's face it, and I'm guilty of this too. When I go to a JCPenney or a Kohl's and I buy um, a shirt, I typically don't ask myself, oh, I wonder who stitched this. I wonder who came up with the pattern. You don't really think about it. You just pay for it and that's it. Mm-hmm. So on the other end is an artist who came up with that and he's he or she is sitting pretty because he's getting um, a royalty check for every shirt sold. Now, it might not be a lot. It might be maybe 50 cents per shirt, but it's cumulative. If you if you have X number of shirts in X number of stores nationwide, that's going to really impact how your check works. And so starting out, uh, I know that when I first started doing licensed T-shirt work, I think my first check that came in, it must have been, I don't know, like $50. It was something very, very low. And then 
gradually over time, as I added to um, how much license work I did, the royalty check grows and grows. Um, and I, I keep pretty good tabs in terms of how many shirts I've sold um, per month, how much that applies to my check. And even though I haven't really been doing much license work over the last uh, few months, as far as T-shirts are concerned, because I've, I've transitioned to other work, mm-hmm. um, I still get royalty checks, and it's great. I mean, it's wonderful. But there are some times where, for example, later on, um, I think in my first year of work, I started actually getting commission work from the licensors. And so, for example, uh, New York Comic Con, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Emerald City. They asked my uh, employer, they said, well, we want him to do this shirt for us. It's Transformers related. We know that he can draw Transformers. Uh, Can he do this for us? And so I did it, but that was different because I didn't get a royalty check. I got paid an upfront fee Mm -hmm. for doing it. And it was in the contract. It said, you get paid up front. There's no royalty that's checks it. that you're going to get after this. That's it. And you sign off on that and you say that you're okay. And what was good was that later on, I was actually given the option. Um, I would create a design and maybe I liked it. Like I really, really liked it. And they would, they would ask me, they said, okay, well, we don't. As in like, we think you're crazy, but you have to make a choice because you can either get a lump sum up front. So we'll pay you maybe $150 up front. Uh, and that's it. You don't get any royalty checks after this. Or you can take the royalty check. And you can see where this becomes problematic because let's say I really like the Scarlet Spider and I'm like, I want to make the Scarlet Spider shirt. So I do it. Well, let's say I'm the only fan out there. Or you two. So two of us. Yeah. Which means that <laughs> even if I put this out there, if I took eight hours to make it and I only get like a dollar in royalties <laughs> back, right. it's not worth it. Right. You want the lump sum because at least you know you're going to get paid $150. And so it's interesting how, how mm-hmm. royalties work because it's contractual. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of um, creators – Maybe they see their character appear in a movie, and I know there's been some debate, should we get royalties because that's our character that we created? Well, some people would argue no, because when you created the character back in the 1960s or the 1970s, you looked at your contract and it said you got paid for the work done. There was no royalty option at the time, and I mean, heck, of course, if we all knew it was going to be big 30 years later, you would, you would put it in your contract right. saying, Who has oh, that by foresight, the way, though? Right. It's the foresight, right? Yeah. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but foresight is something completely different. And this happened. Um, one of the cases, and, and I'm not complaining, but this is this is a really good illustration of this. Was um, there's a franchise, Five Nights at Freddy's, and I did a, a T-shirt design for the fictional place in that franchise, which is Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. Mm-hmm. And I did the logo design. It was fan art, but the the people who were holding the license, they were very kind. They came up to me and they said, "We want that logo." And we're gonna we're willing to write you a very good check for it, and they did. <laughs> it was a very good check. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am not complaining, but hindsight's twenty twenty because I see that logo pop up on everything. everything. Yeah, oh. that, that property is really to myself, blown up. Exactly, and I'm thinking to myself, well, and and you know, uh, my wife would say, well, don't you re- don't you um, don't you wish that you could renegotiate it? And I was like, yeah, but there's no rego- renegotiating. When I took that check, I knew what I was getting into. I knew that at the time it seemed like a good deal, and it was. Yeah. Um, it's just that if I had known it was going to blow up into something bigger, an even better deal. Uh, maybe things would have <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe things would have been different. But like I said, uh, the people who I made that contract with, they were very kind. They were more than generous uh, for the time uh, that that it was, and so I can't complain about it. Now, when you're looking at a billion dollars, I mean, I don't know what Robert Kirkman's <laughs> salary is i'm guessing he's not poor right. i'm guessing he gets paid, paid pretty well but a billion dollars is a billion dollars it's a lot of money <laughs> yeah. uh, i i i would be remiss to uh, to to call him out or say that that's not 
uh, affair thing and simply it, because he, he has he has wealth because I mean that's a lot of money <laughs> right yeah. and it, but it's, and it's in a negotiation contra- uh, uh, right. uh not con- concept you know it's a negotiation tactic is what I'm trying to say right you start up really really high and then you work toward the middle and they start low and you know it's an old lawyer thing uh just yeah. real quick Chris uh mm-hmm. I, I I mean I know you're not that big of a Walking Dead fan what I, I'm, I guess my question to you is, is a bit flippant but do you just hope that Kirkman bankrupts AMC and they just get rid of the whole thing altogether? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is, <what's... laughs> Which is, I mean, first of all, how dare you? I have kept kept up with it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I have waned in my like liking of it ever since like I don't know the fourth season. Uh-huh. Um, it's the same story. There's no narrative progression too much. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of actually hope uh, it's really hard to do, and it's kind of. You've seen people try to establish this footing in the media world, but like there's no real indie space for like, you know, we have this idea, we have this concept, we want to do it outside of a studio, but we don't, we, but we want to do it, you know, with some backing. We want to do it with some means. Um, there's YouTube now, but that's about it. I mean, we can't really, uh, it, it's really hard to get like a big budget production like this yeah. going anymore Yeah, and in, in, in an indie space. I know Kirkman definitely is used to that from <laughs> going to Image uh all those years ago so yeah i don't know this is gonna be interesting i wonder if it's gonna change because walking dead numbers wise is i i'm i'm pretty sure it's like their top rated show um yeah it is it's it's amc's top rated show it's also the number one selling comic book yeah Uh, they hold some weight you know so they can kind of kirkman's kind of on top yeah he can steer the ship here so it'd be interesting i'm just interesting interested to see what the next move is yeah, I you know actually it's funny that you mentioned that because you brought up YouTube and even I mean I know I have other creator friends that that do YouTube production stuff and they said that YouTube has recently changed how they pay out and how they calculate oh, yeah, yeah. so that that's kind of dying off, uh, which is interesting. But then you have things like Mark Millar signing that contract with Netflix for all of his properties. Tim, kind of something that you were uh, mentioning earlier is you know he optioned all of his properties to Netflix and I'm sure there's a an amazing contract there. So I, w- I almost I almost wonder if things are going to move away uh kind of like maybe even runaways on Hulu like things are going to move away from the networks and then into these um streaming services. Anyway, it'll be yeah. something to something to keep our eye on. Uh Tim, I loved all of that insight, by the way, on the merchandising and 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 kind of how that works, and that that's a perfect segue <clears throat> segue into our main topic of the show <laughs> this week, which oh, is wow, Ninja effortless. Inc. It is Timothy Lim. It is the Timothy Lim <laughs> time. Um, now, Tim, uh, again, I do want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let let's let's see let's where do we start off with? Uh, you said you you talked about merchandising. I know that you've done shirts for We Love Fine and Ripped and T Fury and even Shirt Punch. Um, but like you just said that that maybe more recently you're you're moving on to other projects. Uh, in terms of when you're designing stuff for merchandising for T shirts or maybe prints or I I'm not sure. I know some of those companies do other things like. Uh, sweatshirts and you know maybe mugs do you have is there a different mindset when you know that you're doing something for merchandising versus doing something uh you know for 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 creative purposes does that make sense 
Yes, and that's a very good question. Um, and people ask me that all pretty regularly when they're looking into getting into merchandising. And I tell them that the difference is the way that we criticize our what we wear versus how we criticize what we read. Uh, there's never been a time where I went to a Walmart or a HEB <laughs> and went to the shirt rack and looked at a shirt and said, hmm, well, I would get this, but Daredevil's arm is a little bit off. You'll notice <laughs> that the foreshortening is wrong. You don't even think about that. Um, and so one of the pieces of advice I would give people who were interested in designing for T-shirts when they would say, okay, I, wanna, I have this design. Um, what should I do? And I said, when you're done with it, look at it through the corner of your eye. Don't look at it straight on. Because that's how an artist would typically look at it. An artist would be very critical, right. asking themselves, are the proportions correct? Mistake, mistake, um, mistake, 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 mistake. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Seeing all these mistakes. I said, it's all done on the periphery. Uh, when I go shirt shopping, for example, if I'm in the mood to buy, I typically will look at two things. One, it's either a design that looks really, really good. In other words, there's nothing clever about it. It just looks really good. Mm-hmm. Or something clever. So it'll have like pretty terrible art on it, but it has a slogan that I really think is funny. And I, I think to myself, okay, I'm going to get it because that's funny. Uh, people are going to look at it and they're just going to laugh and they're going to think that that's really good. So when you're doing merchandising, you are. it's a very quick decision. Whenever people buy clothing, it's a, it's a snap choice. It's something that they do on the fly. Whereas when you're designing for something like comics, it's very different. Some people will buy the comic solely for the cover. And I'm guilty of that because <laughs> it's very rare nowadays that I read floppies. I almost never buy single issues solely to read. I will buy a single issue <laughs> and I'll put it in a frame because I like the cover. Right. Like I like the art. Tim, let me just <laughs> so interject here real quick. You're you're yeah. part of the problem. You're why the comic industry publishing exactly. industry is dying. <laughs> it's because of Tim, everybody. Of... At Tim. Exactly. <laughs> I, am, I am part of the problem and not the solution. And don't get me wrong. My friend tells me that all the time. Uh, he said, you do know you do know making variant covers. You're actually contributing to the problem. <laughs> and I said, uh, I, I could be. But then again, uh, maybe there's some people out there like me who are like me. Yeah. They don't. They don't read the comic. They just want to buy it and put it in a frame, and that's the that's the service that I provide. That's perfectly so, fine. You're like, yeah, my we, heart cries, but my wallet is fat, so it's fine. Exactly, <laughs> and uh, and so and it's funny because um, I know that that created kind of a bubble in the '90s, but I was so guilty of that because I still have those comics. Yeah. I have all those lenticular covers yeah. and hologram covers, and I love them. Like I think they're really cool. Um, I keep all of them in pristine condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when the bubble burst, I was like, why did it burst? And people were like, oh, it's those stupid gimmick covers. And I was like, but they're I awesome. Like, covers. <laughs> like, I think they're really cool. So uh, when you when you buy a comic, typically you're you're not like me. Like you're not buying it solely for the cover. You're going to criticize it. You're, you're going to make fun of it. And uh, you're going to look on the inside. And so you're not just judging the front cover. You're judging the interior art too. Mm-hmm. And so doing a comic cover is a bit different because you're going to get a lot more criticism. When I was in merchandising, um, I had the best art director. I had two of them, actually, and they let me do my own thing. I mean, in, in almost seven years of working for them, I think I can count on one hand how many times I was told to change something uh, wow. because uh, for one reason or the other, it was it was an obvious thing that needed to be changed. Whereas in comic covers, you're almost never going to get it right the first time. Um, there's someone on the other end who's going to tell you um, this needs to be changed or that looks off. The colors mm-hmm. are wrong, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So it's a completely different approach uh, in terms of in terms of designing it. Um, and so that was kind of hard uh, switching gears. But now I, I kind of navigate both worlds, and it's it's getting a lot easier. That's awesome. Uh, that's you know it's kind of funny uh, speaking to the 
to the the business aspect of comic books and the gimmick covers. Um, so that's that's what I do, you know, as a job. <laughs> a is cover. is that well, well, like you know, but the funny thing is, is there's been a recent trend, and I mean within like the last year or so. Right. Where those '90s gimmick covers are now being sought after again, because I think yeah. people like around our age, who were who were young or were like young teens, young kids, when the, and we all thought those covers were cool at the time, like, and so now <laughs> people are going back and like, oh man, I remember that Spider-Man cover with the hologram, like the four yeah. four different Spider-Man. Oh, I want a set of those, and like so people are looking for them now. Now they're they're still not worth like a ton. But, you know, those books, which were dollar bin books maybe a couple of years ago, are now five ten dollars books, uh, which right. is a pretty significant jump for, you know, for books that people hated for a long time. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I know I know that you did um, you, you had some art in a Street Fighter tribute art book and is also right as a, a Mega Man one as well. Correct. Um, so, um, yeah, they've had. Let me think about it. I think there's there's been four tribute art books, and I'm in every single one except Darkstalkers. So, yeah, Mega Man tribute, I'm in there. Street Fighter tribute, I'm in there. And then they had one that was called Capcom Fighting, which was just pretty much any Capcom title uh, that was a fighting game. Oh, cool. um, they had another tribute art book, and I was in there as well. I did not get into the street, into the Darkstalkers one, and that's why I made up for it in the Capcom Fighting one because. I don't know. That kind of bummed me out. Uh, yeah, I politics, really right? It's, it's this damn Capcom <laughs> politics. Uh. Exactly. And so they uh, they did not have my Darkstalkers art in the tribute book for that for that one. And so I created Darkstalkers art just to make sure I could get into the Capcom one. So I felt like I was making up for it. <laughs> yeah. And then nice. and then they did me another favor, really, by putting my art in Street Fighter versus Darkstalkers. So I've been in there twice. Um, and that was really cool. So I just thought to myself, all right, because I'm, I love Darkstalkers. I'm a big fan. Is of that the, your favorite series? series. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a result, um, I felt like that was making up for <laughs> my lack of presence in Darkstalkers tribute. Uh, so that's my contribution as far as um, the Capcom titles are concerned. That, that's awesome. Well, Chris and I are really big um, old school Capcom fans, like like oh, uh, like the Darkstalkers, the Marvel vs. Capcom, like the the you know the original the... Street Fighter series. Go ahead, Chris. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say even Project Justice, even yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, but I actually wanted to say is that I was actually in a half price books uh, about a week ago, and they had the Mega Man and Street Fighter tribute art books. Oh wow! Yeah, and they had them like featured, displayed at the half price. I was like, this is so cool, and I thought they were really cool. And then when I uh, was you know doing research for the podcast, I saw that you did art, and then I was like, oh man, I need to go back. I'm gonna go. <laughs> check it out like i need to go back and check those out uh, even more so now uh more closely Where, uh, was that a store in san antonio yeah uh so half price books i i know you're in arkansas i don't maybe i don't know if they have them there or not uh but they're bookstores that they sell new and used books and uh well, those books go for a lot of money so if they if they still have mm, it there and you want it okay you need to go get yeah it. i'm gonna go <laughs> maybe i'll go uh, later today uh, or definitely tomorrow uh yeah because they're really cool i was like flipping through like i was in a hurry so I didn't get to spend a lot of time, but I was like flipping through. I was like, man, these are really cool. And, um, and then again, when I, like I said, when I was reading up on your bio, I was like, oh my god, like he was. I need to. I definitely need to go back and check this out. Um, <laughs> are you are you a gamer? Like, are you? Uh, do you do do you like playing video games? Is that like something that you do to relax at all, or is that maybe from a a, a time that's long 
since been passed like <laughs> was it's, that from your youth it's a it's a give and take yeah um i don't have as much time anymore yeah. and so you know gaming gaming is something that you have to devote a lot of time mm-hmm. to most games nowadays you'd be lucky if you can finish it under 12 hours most of them require a lot of due diligence mm-hmm. and so the last game that i actually finished from beginning to end was um, borderlands 2 oh that's a and good one the only yeah the reason i played it was because i had to um i was doing <laughs> some work for valve and typically mm. The, the company I work for, they, they really don't want you working on anything unless you're a fan because that's how that's how you're going to create good products. I mean, it, you can't really cater to your fans unless you know what the fans want. And the way you know what the fans want is if you're a fan, if you actually start playing mm. it. So I didn't really know anything about Borderlands, um, but they really wanted me to work on it. So I, I got Borderlands 2. I played it. I loved it. I, I really liked it. So I actually played it through twice. Oh. Um, but I only, own, I only own a PS3. I don't have a PS4, so I'm kind of limited. Mm. But as far as old school games are, I will pretty much – I used to play religiously. I mean, in high school and college, I played all the time. Um, PlayStation and PlayStation 2 games, I could – I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've beaten certain games um, over and over again. Like, um, I'm really big into Metal Gear. Like, I love Metal Gear. Oh, oh there's yeah. Chris love, uh, loves it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I love the Metal Gear series. I love uh, Street Fighter. And so what I did for Metal Gear was I didn't have time, but I have a cousin who's really good at video games. And so what I did was I would go to his house, and I would just watch him play, like, Metal Gear Solid 4. And that way, even though I wasn't playing it, I at least was aware of <laughs> you were absorbing it. Because... You were absorbing the <laughs> character, yeah. Yeah. Right, and my, exactly. my little brother watched me play a lot, so <laughs> that's kind of yeah, how he knows so, the, the franchise. So you know how it goes. And what I did recently was... Um, Speaking about Street Fighter, Capcom had a sale on their online store for PlayStation. So I ended up buying like a bunch of old games that um, I didn't have anymore, like uh, Capcom vs. SNK. Uh, mm, I bought that. That's a good one. Street Fighter 3. Yeah. Um, oh, I take that back. The last game I actually played was uh, Guilty Gear. I, I bought Guilty Gear um, X the Third, mm-hmm. and it's really, really good. So if you guys are Street Fighter fans and you want something that's very similar to it, you should get that game because it's like. Basically, it's like playing an, an anime that's a fighting game. It's it's really good. On that note, have Definitely. you have you seen the uh, the video for the the Dragon Ball Z game that's coming out? The the fighting yeah, it looks. I, I heard. Yeah, I heard some pretty good reviews about it. Looks pretty nice. Looks it looks like an anime as well. You know, it's, I'm really right. glad you brought that up about you said your employer. Uh, they only want people that are really big fans of the projects that they do, because like going through some of the work you've done, you know, again, Street Fighter, Mega Man, Back to the Future. Um, apparently there's a book street fighter x gi joe is that it yes it's awesome that i <laughs> i saw that i immediately like <laughs> i like put it in a different folder for me i'm like i'm gonna go research that more later like after the podcast it's whole oh, wow um so and then um and then i definitely want to touch on this <clears throat> the the dear mr watterson the, the calvin and hobbs documentary uh right. i am Calvin and Hobbes is near and dear to my heart. It is literally the background on my phone and on my desktop is Calvin and Hobbes looking out into space. It's that, uh-huh. it's that panel. Um, how did, right. how did you get involved with that? Part of it was because, so the way I got into merchandising was at the time I was creating, I guess what they call like mashup or bootleg art, which is, um, and people do it now all the time. Like it's so great. It's so rampant that no one i don't even think people try to police it they don't care right they don't it's so prevalent they don't they don't care because you can't i mean there's so many artists out there doing it that you'd have to be chasing them all day just to catch a a fraction of them but i was i was doing t-shirt design that was not licensed and calvin and Hobbes was a big inspiration for me and the the reason it was kind of fun when i got i got started was there weren't many of us doing it and so a lot of these untouched properties i thought to myself i like this as a kid 
I'm pretty sure that if I draw it, there's someone out there who's going to like it too, because I liked it. I don't think I'm that weird that, you know, I had really strange taste. Mm-hmm. I think that was a universally um, recognized and beloved, beloved. Yeah, beloved. comic, right? Yeah. And so I did a couple of pieces that were tributes to Calvin and Hobbes, and people loved them. Uh, they really thought that they were really cool. And so um, the guy who did the documentary, he actually contacted me, and he said um, at the end we're, we have like this montage of, of different pieces of art just to show kind of um, how the fans have reacted mm-hmm. to it over the years. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me if I wanted to contribute to it, and I said yeah. And I um, I just I gave him a bunch of art that I did that had that theme to it. I quit doing it because uh, pretty much everyone started doing it. So <laughs> right. I thought, I thought oh, my job is done. And the, the thing that really hacked me off was um, I did one, and someone actually told me, they're like, you're copying this other artist. And I thought to myself, <laughs> uh, no. As in, like, if you do your research, pretty sure that there were maybe two of us doing it, like, uh, at least eight years ago. So it's not, a, like, an, it's not like a new thing. It's something that's been going around for some time now. Right. But um, I thought being in that documentary, that was really cool. That, um, just because, yeah. you know, Bill Waterson, he's kind of a recluse. Doesn't yeah. come out too much. And, but and, and very famously I, did no merchandising of those characters. Right. Despite being pressured many times. Yeah. Right. And I, I think a lot of people, would, <laughs> I think the criticism leveled is, well, if you're selling a shirt for money, that's kind of a, a bastardization of what he wanted. And I thought to myself, that's one way of looking at it. Or you could look at it as the fact that there's such a craving. There are these fans. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like how many of us, I'm sure that all of us wanted like a Hobbes plush yeah. toy when we were a kid. God, I still and... do. Are you kidding me? Like that's, that's on the top of my Amazon wish list. That <laughs> exactly. And, and I saw, and I saw his interview <clears throat> where he said, you know, I don't, I don't want to commercialize it. I think it's a, it's a pure art. Um, I don't want, I, I don't want to be under the impression that this was ever done for, for, for monetary, monetary reasons. Yeah. But it's the idea that it's like when you buy a souvenir. Um, a souvenir actually comes from French, which is like to revisit or to re-see again. The idea that mm-hmm. you buy something because um, holding that physical thing will remind you of where it came from. And uh, that's how I think most of us look at it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, We don't look at Calvin and Hobbes as a way necessarily to make money. We, we really like it. It's just that if we get money, I think that's a, that's a perk. <laughs> right, <laughs> it it's a bonus. Is, but... but... Right, it's a bonus, but we create it because out of a genuine love of the of the franchise. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I I, I like to think that no one is so cynical out there that is just like, oh, Bill Larson didn't want us to make, didn't want to make money off Calvin and Hobbes. Well, I hate Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> but I'm going to prove him wrong. Make right. all this money, like I, I sincerely hope that there's that there, that there's always out one there. guy at a comic con <laughs> with a with a booth like that. It's it's yeah exactly. And uh, they're few and far in between. A lot of times the critics who yell the loudest are actually uh, they're just a, vi- a, vo- a vocal minority. But mm-hmm. most people, actually all, all the people I've encountered have been very understanding about it. Um, and so it hasn't been an, an, a source of content so far. I would imagine that, if anything, a lot of people are, are excited whenever they see any any of that, like any of the Calvin and Hobbes stuff, where they're like, oh, yay, like I love Calvin. Like it brings them back. Right to their childhood, yeah. it brings joy, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, which is again, uh, here we go, another perfect segue into speaking of <laughs> childhood and childlike wonder. Let's talk about your your most recent project that has come to fruition, and I am, I cannot overstate this. I am so excited. I love the serendipity of it. That that it turns out that this book is going to be released here in San Antonio, of all places, um, featuring your artwork, which I, I genuinely, I sincerely mean this. I'm such a fan. 
I love uh, following your work on um, Facebook and uh, I want to say Instagram as well. Uh, I love the little sketch cards that you do. The, the, oh, thank you. That are like in the style of the old Marvel superheroes cards. Um, uh-huh. I actually have a Spider Gwen one right here. I'm like literally holding it right now. Uh, I'm a huge, huge Spider Gwen fan. Um, so I love these cards. I love that you even did the back of them that has like all of your stats. Right. You know, it's awesome. I just love it and like the facts and everything. Uh, but but real, real quick, yeah. real quick, shout out to Little Witch Academia. Uh, oh. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm down with that. So uh, wait, real... wait till you see tomorrow. If you follow me on Instagram, I got a big surprise for you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Awesome. Well, then I'll, I shall start following you. Uh, there, there you go. Quick, quick question. Uh, who is the best girl and why is it Susie? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a contrarian by nature. I never <laughs> think the most popular character, even though I, I do like Susie. But I, lo- I love shiny Chariot. OK, not bad. Yeah, Chariot is that's that's awesome. I mean, I, and I just finished a series, I think this time last week. Um, and I'm actually rewatching it from the first episode. So I'm on episode five right now, and I'm working my way up to finish it again. There's so many. It, it's such a well-made anime, and it, it's so different compared to other anime I've seen. I'm very picky when it comes to anime. It's not something I watch religiously. I'm very choosy. And right. the fact that I'm rewatching it is, is something that hasn't really happened much before. I think it has something oh. to do with – I think it's Trigger's overall style and the way that they um, construct their stories. Because I think there's only been three animes I've watched twice. One Punch Man, Little Witch Academia, and Kill a Kill. Those are the only three I've ever given a second viewing. Yeah, (laughs) so high praise, yeah. (laughs) But no, don't get me wrong. I love Susie. I think she's a great character, uh, very unique. So uh, I'll give her second place. That's fair, right? (laughs) (laughs) Top three is completely fair. fair. I need to check out Kill the Kill, too. You mentioned it now, and a bunch of people have been... Yeah, don't lose your weight, that. dude. What are you doing? I know. Uh, I know. Why are you even talking to me? Uh, you should be watching. Yeah. Really <laughs> I do love One Punch Man, by the way. It's it's fantastic. I love how they subvert everything oh, yeah. in that show. Uh, but yeah, okay. the The project that you're doing is is uh, let me not bury the lead here. Star Wars Adventures number one. You're doing exclusive Heroes and Fantasies, which is a local comic store here in San Antonio. But if you go to heroesandfantasies.com, you can for you listeners out there that are not local to San Antonio, of course, uh, you can go on the website and order pre-order this comic right now. It is Star Wars Adventures number one, and it features uh, Ray on the cover, drawn by Timothy Lim, Ninja Inc. Uh, let, you told me something off there. Tell me, I mean, if it's something you can talk about, because I don't, you know, oh, I, 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 know it, I know it's <laughs> behind, the, behind the scenes a little bit, but I love the little story that you told me about because I asked you, how did you come up with the concept? It's a it's a wonderful right. image. It's Ray with her helmet, her uh, Rogue Squadron helmet, you know, sitting um, in the sand with her little bread thing or whatever you call that that thing that she has that she eats. Uh, right. Can you talk us talk to talk to us about that process and how you came up with that yeah. concept? And and a- absolutely. And this will actually tie in kind of everything we've been talking about today um, since the very beginning, just because of, of the progression and how in terms of how it works. So. It's an IDW book, so it's actually not a Marvel oh, sorry, Star Wars sorry, book. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, IDW. No, that's fine. Um, a lot of people have been asking me about that. And if you read, there's there's a few explanations online. Um, really what it boiled down to was I think IDW had a really good track with its kid-friendly books. And Marvel 
really wanted a Star Wars book that children could read just because it's Star Wars titles right now for Marvel. They tend to, to lean a little bit more on the mature adult side. Right. They wanted something that children could get into. And IDW has been doing a really good job about that. So the license was given to IDW to do Star Wars Adventures. Um, and this is where the whole merchandising thing came into play. When we did the cover, I was looking at the ones that had already been shown. So there were maybe two or three of them out there. And they were montages. They showed all very, a variety of characters, all doing different things with blasters and lightsabers and whatnot. So we asked um, IDW, and we said, what is it that we can and can't put on the cover? And the rule was, you cannot have a lightsaber or a blaster facing the viewer. That was the only rule. And so I sketched out the first cover. And the first cover, which I, I'm at some point, I know I'll, I'll be able to release online as a behind-the-scenes so people can see it. But basically... It was it was Maz Kanata giving the lightsaber to Ray. Ray was holding it, and in that flash that we see in The Force Awakens, I made it so that, in my interpretation, she saw other characters from the universe as well. So it was kind of this oh. epic-looking cover. Yeah. And <laughs> we got a note back, and the note back said, um, Lucasfilm likes it if you if they have a choice. They like to choose between different covers. So if you could do two more that were different, um, that would be great. So I did another one, which was essentially the same cover, but from a different angle. And then I did a third one along the same lines. And we got a note back, and it said, uh, change of plan, Lucasfilm does not want any depiction of any character that's not in the book. And <laughs> so we thought, uh, okay, well, who's in the book? And they said, well, we know for sure that Ray is going to be in it. So, uh, and we think that Episode 2, Obi-Wan is in it, and maybe some prequel characters. So I did another cover. So right now we're on cover number 4. Mm -hmm. Cover number 4 was a progression shot, kind of like with uh, Wonder Woman transforming uh, in, in the old um, Linda Carter version where she spins, and at the <laughs> end she's, she's Wonder Woman. So it was the idea that we start with Anakin, and as he's swinging his lightsaber, it's like Anakin, then it's Obi-Wan, then it's Luke, and then it's Rey. And oh, then we get a note back, and it said, it said uh, Lucasfilm is back, and they said, <laughs> No lightsabers. <laughs> and, and I thought, okay, so no blasters. We're over no here ready to buy. <laughs> exactly. And so here I, am, here I am on cover number five, and I'm about to start on it. And then another message comes down the pipeline, and it says, uh, new rule, no characters except the ones who are in the book, which is basically Ray, Obi-Wan, and someone else who I don't remember. So I just thought, you can't how do you have a Star Wars cover when there's no action? Like, how in the world can you make a cover where a, 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 a book, a comic, and a franchise that revolves around science fiction action doesn't have any of those elements on it? But, again, I know that there were some other people who were getting really frustrated because it's like, oh, my gosh, we're already on the seventh cover concept and we can't approve anything. But I thought to myself, why, why should I go – to the extreme where I'm trying, I'm trying to make this cover look epic, which is, I think the default reaction. And, I, and so I thought to myself, why don't we go the opposite direction? Why don't we go with the most mundane thing possible? So I rewatched the force awakens again to try and get ideas. And I remembered that scene where she takes the portions. I think they're called portions yeah, where one quarter she adds portion. water to it. <laughs> Correct. And when she mixes it and the bread rice, I remember being in the theater and thinking to myself, that's that that's that Star Wars magic where mm -hmm. it's that scene that's so low key, but you're amazed because it looks so real and um, it really takes you out. And I thought to myself, that was actually a defining scene. So I drew this cover and I even warned um, uh, Heroes and Fantasies. I was like, I, I know you're going to get really mad at me, but 
uh, this is what I'm thinking of doing. <laughs> Let's have Ray eating bread on the couch. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing was I was under a tight deadline. Um, Adam, who's very, very nice, he's, right. the, he's one of the, the owners of Heroes. Yeah. He said, I'm sorry to do this to you. We're under a tight deadline. I know you have to, uh, you're going to Alamo City tomorrow. Can you finish this soon? And I said, I'll stay up until four in the morning and get this done. I finished it. I sent it to him and I said, please don't be mad, but this is, this is my idea. And I know I didn't have much time to prep you on it, but this is what we're thinking. And his reaction back was, oh my gosh, that looks better than I thought it would. I, you, you know, I, I was, I was expecting the worst, but it actually looks pretty good. And I was like, oh, thanks. But see, Adam's nice. He, he I expected to say that, but the reaction I got from other people was just like you. It was actually a website in Germany that released it. Um, I think IDW leaked the cover to them, and they leaked it to the public. <laughs> and and the reaction, and I thought to myself, I'm going to get crucified. People are going to make fun of this cover. And people were like, it's great. Like, it's so, it's it's wonderful. Like, it's so simplistic. And it's, um, it is mundane in its design, but I think it ca- kind of captures a very youthful spirit which if you're if you have a kid's cover right uh you might as well try to aim for that demographic you might try try and make something a little bit more kid friendly something that's very um that kind of captures that essence and so Mm -hmm. uh, i really wanted and you can tell from the cover it's very different from how Rhea reacts in the force awakens in the force awakens she eats her bread like it's nothing big but in my opinion if you're a kid and you're Ray, you think that's the coolest thing. You have like instant bread. Yeah. So <laughs> for those of you who can't see the cover, it's Ray looking at, it's a very big loaf of bread. It's not tiny like in the movie. And she's looking at it with wide eyed amazement uh, while there's a, a freaking big star destroyer in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was glad that you reached out to me. Uh, that really made my day. Cause like I said, I was kind of like, Oh man, you know, the, the re- reception to it has been better than I thought, which I think it's great. And uh, when you told me that you really like the cover, that really made me feel good. I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm not crazy. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, I, I made a good decision, I guess. <laughs> it, is, it is fantastic. Well, and the, and the thing is, and you're right, it doesn't show sort of the dynamic action that I know you can do. Like I've seen it, you know? Uh, but the one thing that you, you keyed in on that I think is so perfect, especially for a Star Wars Adventures book, which is, again, aimed at kids, is it really captures a sort of childlike wonder. That's That, to me, is what really sells that cover. Um, and I, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be a huge hit. Um, so how, you know... Do, how do you get approached to do these? Is it because of your work through IDW? Is that how uh, for like variant covers or do other companies solicit you? How, how does that work exactly? They normally just reach out to me. Um, I got really lucky. I broke in with my first one with Back to the Future. It was with Heroes and Fantasies. I just I happened to know um, Adam beforehand. Uh, we were friends. I was friends with a lot of people in that store. They're all really nice guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole San Antonio crew. The entire reason I do so many stops down there is just because all my friends are in San Antonio, awesome. and almost all of them are connected with Heroes and Fantasies in some way. And he knew that I wanted to do cover work, and um, he uh, he and I worked out a deal because he knew that I was kind of an unrecognized person at the point, and I basically asked him we were at san diego comic-con um and he pitched me to idw idw they approved me very quickly they had seen my licensed work before um he knew he was taking a risk with me but i told him i basically said um if you get me on board i can be your exclusive artist you know you get first dibs and i think that's the contract that we have out is heroes gets me first if they ever need me for anything then that's okay and i love it because i love going down to san antonio i love meeting the fans down there um i kind of have a, a small niche going for me which is fantastic mm-hmm. um and but after that what happened was so idw to have me kind of under roster of artists if they need it so i know like back to the future number seven 
I think it was Bob Gale who requested me personally oh. because, well, he he saw the work I did on that first, the first cover one, and yeah. he loved it so much that he wanted me to do the cover for number seven, which was going to be kind of um, a companion piece to it. So they look very much alike. Um, they're both Rockwell-inspired pieces. Mm-hmm. And so he got me to do number seven. Um, and since then, it's just various people who contact me for their cover work. And, and it's funny because in the industry – if you're an A-lister, you're pretty much approached constantly. If you're a Scott, uh, if you're a, a Scotty Young or an Adam Hughes or Frank Cho, you, you don't have to worry about finding work. The work is going to find you. Right. In uh, in my line of work, I either have to seek the work out or um, I take any any job that comes my way. So I've done a few covers. They're not necessarily high profile, but I mean they they were paying, uh, which is good. I, I typically don't work for free, but I know that. Um, there's a lot of indie comic artists have come out to me. They like my work. Um, I'm, I think I'm cheaper <laughs> than most artists, and so they know they can cut me a good deal. So I've done a couple of covers for a book called Righteous. Um, it's a book by um, a pretty big. Um, I think he's a Bernie Sanders supporter, so he has a, a very. It's a, it's kind of a political book that he has coming out, but it's about a guy who it's like a world kind of like in Liar Liar where everyone has to do good, like no one can do oh. bad. So. He had me doing two covers for him. Uh, Marat Michaels, who does, um, he's a really funny guy. He's a co-owner of Counterpoint Comics, but he does parodies. So he does like Hardly Thin and Dead. Oh, Food. yeah, yeah. No, like... I know I know him. I, I, I actually, I talked to him on Facebook before. Yeah. Yeah, he's a nice, yeah, he, he and Brian are really nice guys. And they have me, they just had me doing two covers for them. They had me doing one for Hardly Thin, uh, one for Naughty and Nice. Um, I recently finished one for, um, oh, I, uh, I can't show it, but I'm doing work for Patriotica. So Patriotica number two, um, I'm doing one of his covers, and supposedly I'm doing another one for Vampire. I'm sorry for Val- Valkyrie Saviors, which is another imprint of his. And I think that book is coming out later in December. Uh, so a lot of times they'll just come, they'll they'll just ask me. And frankly, because I didn't go to art school, I don't have those contacts. I'm really surprised as to where they come from. Um, kind of like Upper Deck, they reached out to me. Uh, I I didn't know anything about reaching them. They just contacted me on Instagram and they said, do you want to do some work for us? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> oh, sure. Like, I, would yeah. die. I would die to do work for you. <laughs> no uh, that's problem. not a problem. So Let me think uh, about they it. They reached me... out to me. And, um, I, I, and that's the hard thing is telling – some people ask for advice, like how do I break into industry? And I said, my advice to you is you keep on producing work. You get on Instagram. You put your work out there. And eventually someone's going to reach out to you. Um, and that's the hard part is, is waiting. Right. And, um, having them come to you for that type of thing, but I mean they'll do it eventually. It just it just takes some time. You just gotta grind and put it out into the void, I guess. Exactly, <laughs> and you hope it doesn't disappear into the void. You hope that someone sees right. it at some point. And I, I've just been very fortunate um, that that's that that's happened. Yeah. So just again, uh, speaking to the kind of the commodity commercial side of comic books, I I will tell you that I know personally that those do you poo books are huge they have a huge niche fan base and the hardly thin (laughs) like 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 people really lose their minds for them and then they're so uh the print runs are so limited uh that people really really love them uh which is great and i I think it's i think the covers they do are so fantastic because they're always these like homage covers to other famous books and i love that they're like these really interesting kind of cover swipes um, it's really neat. I really, I, I didn't even know that you had that connection, but that's so cool. Um, and they reached out to me and it was, it was funny that you say that because, um, Brian, uh, who's Marat Michaels, friend, he reached out to me and he said, 
do you want to do a cover for us? And I said, yeah, sure. And I said, what's it for? And uh, he told me, uh, we want one for Harley Thin. And I didn't even have to ask. He said, by the way, in case you're ever doubting how much these things go for, just look on eBay. So for all your listeners out there, um, if you go on eBay and you just type in Hardly Thin uh, with two N's, and, or if you type in Do You Poo, just look at how much one of those single issues go for. They go for a lot yeah. of money. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, super, they're super hot. They're some of the hottest books out there. Um, so, and again, uh, so... And I'm going to throw the link and everything on the, on the podcast uh, page on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Neil before pod. Uh, for those of us, that, those of you that want to find us on Facebook, I think everyone that listens to this knows that already, though. But we're going to have a direct link to pre-order uh, Star Wars Adventures number one, the Ninja Inc. variant, uh, which is super exciting. I know you're going to be here in San Antonio on September 9th. Is that correct? correct for that book? Yes. But you're also going to be here next weekend for San Japan. Is that correct? That's correct. I'll be here with uh, Alamo City Comic Con. So I'm actually going to be at their booth helping them promote uh, their convention, which I think is going to be in Halloween. So they have a, the ho- a mini convention the Halloween, in Halloween edition. So mm-hmm. correct. So if anyone wants out. to find me, um, I'll be at San Japan. They'll uh, it'll be under the Alamo City banner um if you're an anime fan if you like little witch academia follow me on instagram at ninja inc and uh you'll see something very cool i guess tomorrow that's uh <laughs> little witch academia related just a teaser this whole week on instagram is gonna be nothing but the prints i'm gonna have at san japan uh hopefully get some people coming my way but a lot of really cool people are gonna be there the the, the main voice actor for saitama is gonna be there i think he's their headliner uh so it should be a good time but i would love to, to see any any people who can come by so i'll be there this weekend and then next weekend I'll be at Heroes and Fantasies from one till close, I guess, Whoa, for the signing. It's a long day. Uh, I hope you get some, some oh, yeah. delicious food, like some, I don't know. I, I was going to say chachos, and I don't know if that's considered delicious <laughs> food or not. Uh, you know, but something good if you're going to be there that I long. I mean, yeah, we don't want him to get stabbed, dude. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. no, I mean, someone will go get the food for him. But Tim, Tim okay, won't okay. get stabbed. We don't want Tim getting stabbed. No. no, I'll tell you what the best thing to do is. So, so you know, we live in the South, so all the food is good, right? Yeah. I'm right. Yeah, because it's the South. Everything is, is going to kill you at an early age. You're gonna <laughs> but you're going to be happy with so it, yeah. But uh, I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing that beats the food in San Antonio because you get the best of both worlds. You get the Texas food and you get the Mexican food, which is really good. Yeah. And so um, my favorite thing to do, and it sounds terrible, I, I love fasting all day. Like when I work a con, I love not eating. And then at the very end, at the end of the day, after oh, you're, you're tired, yeah. you go out and I'm telling you, I mean, there, we have a tradition. Um, after the con, we always go to the original, which is on the Riverwalk. It's a tourist um, restaurant, but it's open 24 hours. And they have one of the largest chimichangas on the face of the planet. <laughs> and and my buddy and I, we just, we each, we order one each and we just put that down. Yeah. And it's it's the greatest feeling in the world. I mean, like you want to talk about rewarding yourself at the end of the day after a long con of not eating, that's how you do it. So I'm looking forward to the food down there. I love it. Um, every time I go down, I have a budget set aside just for the eats. It's nice. good stuff, man. That's nice. Good. I love, I love how a lot of fans are probably budgeting for the con, but you're budgeting for the food. I love it. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, that's the way to do it. I, well, we're going to, we're going to be really happy to have you here in San Antonio, Tim. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. It was fantastic. I loved all the insight you provided. Um, you're more than welcome to come on anytime in the future. 
um, absolutely any, any other anytime you guys you need have. me uh but we'll we'll definitely see you on the ninth i'll be at san japan actually i think chris might be at san japan too so uh we'll make a cameo we'll uh probably see you <laughs> see you this weekend uh, i'll stop by and say hi everyone please go check out uh ninja inc at the alamo city comic con booth at san japan this weekend and stop by and say hi at Heroes and Fantasies on the 9th if you're here in San Antonio, happen to be in town. Otherwise, again, be sure to check out the link we're going to have up on Facebook. You can order the comic directly. It's a beautiful cover. Uh, it's an issue number one, and it's a variant cover. It's everything you could want um, from IDW Star Wars Adventures number one. Thank you so much again, uh, Tim, for coming on. Until next time, everybody, this is Alfred saying goodbye. The Fortress of Potitude is closed. Stay super, everyone. So long, y'all. Bye.